Good morning. Our second Bible reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Thank you, Amanda. Now we've been going through this series. It's um, a few. Uh, we are a few weeks in now. We're on the fifth of the topics. Uh, these topics were in fact decided last year. So the series for the year has been decided about almost a year ahead. And and I find it just so encouraging and wonderful and profound that God is so so providential in what He teaches us. And I've I've been finding personally this series helpful personally in my own walk with the Lord. And hopefully you have as well. Uh, but as we come to this topic of holiness, uh, it means a lot of soul-searching and heart-searching and, and reflecting on whether our hearts align with God's heart and God's desire. So uh, let's pray that God might do that in us uh, by the work of his Spirit. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we pray that you might give us humble hearts, humble hearts ready to be exposed, humble hearts ready to be changed by your word and by the work of your Spirit in us. And we pray, Lord, that that might happen, that we will be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like the world is changing so fast. It's changing every day, almost. I wonder whether you feel this way. The young ones today grow up in a world so vastly different to the world I grew up in and that's only a few decades ago and I'm sure the world today is so vastly different to the world that many of you grew up in 
many decades ago, the, the older you are, it means perhaps the wiser you are, but the world today is so different. Now, what are the things that you have noticed that has changed in our world? Now, I grew up in the, I was born in the 70s, I grew up in the 80s. Back then, a litre of milk, do you know how much it cost back then in the 80s? A litre of milk cost 30 cents. What's today? $2 for two litres. Not too bad, isn't it? Unless you buy the branded stuff and you help the farmers that way. But I suspect many of you grew up in a time when you didn't go to Woolies or Coles to buy your milk. You had to wait for the milkman to bring the milk. Anyone grew up in that time? You are the wise ones amongst us. <laughs> and back then, I'm sure it wasn't cents and dollars. It was pounds and shillings. Or petrol in the 80s. You know how much it cost back then? It was 30 cents a litre. 30 cents. Yesterday I drove past the petrol station. I'm avoiding it. I'm waiting for Tuesday when it goes down. It's $1.50 a litre. Stamps in the 80s. 22 cents. And it went up, went up. Now it's a dollar. What about bread, a loaf of bread back in the 80s? Any ideas how much it cost back then? 54 cents for a loaf of bread. Today, you know how much it costs? It's free after church. So. <laughs> and so things have changed in big ways. Now, other differences I'm sure we would have all noticed. Those of you who have been at this church for decades, I'm sure you've seen many changes over those years. Back in the 80s, I suspect this church, the demographic of this church, would have been vastly different to what it looks like today. I suspect, you can correct me later on afterwards, not now, out loud, but afterwards, I suspect back then this church was far more Scottish and English. Would that be true? Yes, I hear heads nodding. But today, look at us. Over 20 different cultures here. And it's, it's uh, multicultural and really is a foretaste of heaven where every tongue and tribe worship the same God. And hopefully you see that that is a good thing. And so much has changed in our world. Many of these things are good. However, of course, there are changes in our world and it changes so quickly Changes that have been not so good. Now, what do you think that might be, apart from the cost of petrol? What are the changes in our world, in our Australia, that has not been so good? Now, one thing I've noticed, amongst many, that only in my lifetime that has changed dramatically is the sense of morality in our culture, the sense of right and wrong, the sense of what is honourable and dishonourable that is, that is changing all the time. It seems like the goalpost is always shifting and it is ever-changing. And so this morning I'd like us to consider the world has changed, Australia has changed, but what about our sense of morality, our sense of right and wrong, our sense of what's honourable and dishonourable? Has that changed over the decades? Should that change over the decades? Because the overwhelming pressure is that Christians should change. We should change with the world, we should go with the world, we should blend in with the times. And I wonder whether you feel that way in your context, at school, at work, even in your family. Because if you hear the things that happen to Christians, 
today that we would never imagine happening a decade ago, the things that happen to Christians today, it makes it so difficult to stay different. Not so long ago, here are a few examples. A uni student in an Australian university, a student by the name of Joshua, he was suspended from university because he prayed for a fellow student struggling with anxiety. He shared off his Christian views, and when the university heard of a complaint against him, he was considered a person who made others unsafe on campus, and so he was suspended. He was also threatened that if he stepped foot on campus, there would be security guards. I mean, isn't that pressure to change? Don't pray in public, don't stand up for the Christian faith, blend in rather than remain different. Huge pressure for Christians to change our standard. Or another one, a managing partner of IBM, Mark Allaby. He was forced to resign from the board of the Lachlan Macquarie Institute last year. And he was forced to resign because of his links to this Christian-based institute. I mean, that's pressure, huge pressure for Christians to blend in, to change. Huge pressure. It is so difficult for Christians to remain different. Or another example, a Christian campsite. It's in fact the Phillip Island that we'll be going to in a few weeks' time. They were dragged through court in 2007. Have you heard of this story? It was because of this LGBT lobby organisation. They wanted to use their campsite to promote LGBT ideology amongst young people. The campsite refused, the manager there refused, and so they were dragged through court. You see, the pressure is there to change, to blend in with the world, to change our standard of morality, to change what is right and wrong, to just go with the flow, rather than remain different. Much has changed, some good, some horrible. Now, I wonder whether you've noticed that. I mean, these are things that we would never imagine happening 20 years ago, let alone 10 years ago. Australia has changed. And so our question this morning is, should our sense of morality also change? Blend in with the world, blend in with the rest. Should we change our views on gender like what is being taught in our schools today? Should we change on what we think about abortion or euthanasia or the sanctity of human life or even just normal Christian behaviour? Now we know that this is really not for us to decide. It's not up to us to decide what we should stand for or not. It's in fact for God to decide and we want to know what God says and that's why we're looking at this passage because in this passage we see quite clearly our standard of morality our standard of right and wrong our standard of what is honorable and dishonorable is to be like God and God does not change our standard is to be holiness that is the standard for Christians always we are to be holy while we wait for the hope of the glory of God. Remember how we've been thinking about hope a few weeks ago. That's the destination. What does life now look like? Well, last week we saw there is suffering, but there is purpose in that. This week, we are to see this life now is to be characterized by holy living. That is to be like God. 
And so we are to live holy lives now, pleasing to God. And so I want us to have a look at this passage. Keep your Bibles open to um, 1 Peter 1. So let's have a look. Firstly, what we need to know and remember as Christians is that being a Christian is not about a set of rules to live by. I mean, that's often what you hear uh, people dismiss Christianity for. I don't want more rules for my life. But that's not what Christianity is about. It is about a relationship to have, a Father in heaven to know and a family to belong, by, belong to. Not sets of rules, but a father to know and to belong to. And what is it that our Father in heaven wants? Well, our Father in heaven wants his children to be holy. That is the life of the Christian now, is to, do, is to be marked by holiness. But what does that mean? Now, some people have funny ideas of what being holy is. Some might think the holy ones are those who walk around church with halos around their head. You know, they they sort of glow a bit. That might just be the makeup, but we might think that they're glowing because of this halo, and the holier they are, the bigger the halo. But of course, that's not what holiness means. It's a bit more like this. Let's just say this is the world. There are billions of people in the world. Billions and billions of people, seven billion. And there are people in this world who just live their life, setting their own purpose, living their own way, living for whatever they choose. But then there are the holy ones whom God himself has set apart for himself. God has picked these people out to live for him and to live like him. And so these are, of course, the Christians whom God, by his grace, has saved in his Son. They are holy now because they are set apart for God and to live like God. And so that's what holiness means, to be set apart for God and to live like God. And so Christians are then those who are in the world but not of the world. We're living in the world amongst all we relate to at home, at work, at school, at the shops. But we are in the world, we are not of the world. And so to be holy is to be set apart by God, for God, and to live like God. Got that? To be holy is to be set apart by God. It's God who sets us apart. And it is for God, and then we are to live like God. Now the word holy is the same word in the scriptures for the word saint, that is the noun, or the verb to sanctify. And so to be holy then is to be separate from the world, but aligned with God, distant from sin, and to live like God. And so sin is over there, whatever that says, sin is over there, God is over here. So holiness means I'm to be with God and like God. And if we understand that that is what holiness means, if that is where we get the sense of right and wrong, what is honourable, dishonourable, then it means that that does not change with the times and seasons and society. What that says then, that for the Christian, 
who are to be holy, we are always meant to be different from those in this world. We are in this world, but not of this world. And of course, if you reflect on the Old Testament, this is what we see. When God saved his people from Egypt and brought them to the land he promised, what did God say to them? Did God say to them, go into the land and be like everyone in the land? Of course not. Instead, it was, don't be like them because you are holy. You have been set apart by me, for me, and you are to live like me. And so they in the land live worshipping idols made of gold and silver and wood and stone, but not so with you. You be holy. They in the land, they sacrifice even their sons and daughters to idols, to the idol Molech, but not so with you. You be holy. And so for us as Christians, while we wait for the return of Christ, our life now is to be marked by holiness, distinct, different in the world, but not of the world. And that's what Peter tells us here. This is how Christians are to live. And we are, need, uh, we are to be prepared for it. That is, we need to be prepared and ready to live the holy life. The language we see here is the language uh, to gird up the loins of our minds. A similar modern idiom would be to pull up your socks. If you want to live the holy life that God wants you to live, then pull up your socks, get ready, be prepared. And so what that means then is that to live the life that God wants us to live actually requires effort. It requires a lot of effort to choose, to be active and focused. It requires our minds. If I am to be holy, then I have to decide to be holy and to act holy. If I don't, where do I go? I slip into sin. And I always slip into sin. To be holy is an active thing we choose to do. And so look at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. That is, to, to gird up the loins of our minds. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, notice in the following verses what Christians are known as. In the following verses, we see here that Christians are known as children. To be like obedient children. That is, we are to be like sons and daughters of God in one big family. Not just this family, but the worldwide Christian family. And it's always why it's a joy when, when I get to visit other churches. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where we are, which local church it is. But here we are told we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And we are to be obedient children of God. Now what does that look like? Now, this might be hard to imagine what it looks like to belong to God in his family as his children. But I'd like you to imagine this. Just imagine an orphan, unwanted by anyone, in terrible mess, filthy, dirty, living on the streets, eating whatever scraps he can find, and he's not innocent either. His character is just ugly, selfish, rude, no respect for anyone. He deserves to be on, this street, on the street, this orphan. But then, along comes a generous and a kind man. He has compassion for this orphan. 
takes him into his home despite his filth, cleans him up, gives him a bath, gives him new clothes, and then brings him along to a room and says to this orphan, now this is yours. You can stay here in this room however long you want. Now how do you think this orphan should respond? If this man has done such a generous and loving and gracious thing to him, how should this orphan respond? Continue in his ugly and selfish ways like what it was like on the streets? After being shown such love, would this orphan then choose to go back on the streets and eat the scraps from the, from the bins? Well, of course not. He would be so grateful and thankful that someone would love him in such a way. If he's not grateful, he better be. But then, that's not all. This man, this kind, generous, generous man, he says to this boy, Now I know you don't deserve this, but now I'm going to adopt you as my own son. From today, you'll be my son. All that is mine is yours. And so for this orphan to go back on the streets, to live the old, filthy, dirty way, well, of course not, doesn't make sense. It would not make sense at all. Now, if you can imagine that, if that were to happen, well, in a greater, cosmic, eternal way, a true way, this is what God has done with us. Dirty, morally filthy, orphans, unwanted, but yet adopted into the family of God as his sons and daughters. And so for us to go back on the streets, well, of course not. Blend into the world, go back to the old way, well, of course not. Go back to the old way of life, of course not. I belong to God now, and so I be different like God. I be holy like the God who has been so kind and generous to me. And so for Christians, now that we belong to God, we are to be like God. And that's what it means to be holy. It means we're always different from this world. And so have a look, verses 14 to 16 now. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now the reason why we are to live this way is because it matters to God right and wrong. What is honourable and dishonourable still matters to God. What is holy and unholy matters to God. We don't change and just blend in with the world and society because it's, it's popular, it's convenient, it's easy, or the pressure is just too big and we give in. Well, no, because God, we see here, will hold us accountable. If we blend into the world, God will hold us accountable. God will hold everyone accountable to every. I mean, I find this frightening. I find this really frightening. God will hold us accountable to every single careless word. And I'm sure we've all said some. God will hold us accountable to every thoughtless deed. And I'm sure we've all done some. God will hold us accountable to every wicked desire. And I'm sure we've all had some. We have to remember, 
God remains judge of all. And so there is this proper attitude towards God. We have this sense of the terror of God. We don't muck around with God. He's God. We don't muck around with him at all. So many think that God is just this bearded old man, Santa Claus, up in the skies, but that is so wrong. God is to be feared and revered by all, even us Christians. There needs to be a proper reverence for God. And so that's what we see. Verse 17, have a look. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. This is speaking to the Christian. I must fear God rightly and properly and appropriately. And so the command for us, we are to be holy because we are children of the Father. We belong to God, we live like him, and that does not change. We are in the world, but not of the world. But next we see we are to be holy not just because we're in the family of God, and that is the way of the family. We are to be holy because of what it costs God to make us his family. And we can never forget this. And so again, that orphan illustration. The kind and generous man who adopted that boy probably cost him gold and silver and effort and time and a space in his house. But for God to adopt unholy sinners into his family, a family that will last into all eternity, what did that cost God? It cost him his son. Jesus went into the streets to bring us in and he lost his life for ours. He died so that we might live. He bled so that we might live holy lives. It was costly for God. And so have a look, verses 18 to 19 now. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ died so that I might belong to God. It would be foolish, it would be wrong of me to want to go back. You see, it was deadly costly for God for, God, for us to belong to him. And so we are to be holy as redeemed people of Christ. Blood was shed so that we might live holy lives. And so for Christians to just blend in with the world, to just be like everyone else around us, to approve what God disproves of, what is that saying? To be unholy by our choice of movies. To be unholy by our choice of clothes. To be unholy by the things we buy. To be unholy by the relationships we nurture. To be unholy by the things we desire. To be unholy by the idols we live for. To be unholy by harboring hatred and, and conflict and sins that we hide. I mean, that is to spit in the face of Jesus once again. It is to crucify our Lord all over again. But that must not be so for us who are Christians. Christ died so that we might live holy lives. Not filthy, not wicked, not evil, but holy like God. And so we are to be holy as people, as children of the Father, but also as redeemed people of Christ. We're in the world, 
but not of the world. And finally, in our final verses, we see we are to be holy. How do we know how? How do we know what? Well, it is by obedience to the word of God. How do we know how we are to live? What demands God makes of us? What is the best way to live? By the word of God, God tells us. And if God says so, it might be hard, it might be difficult, but I obey it. And that is holy living. And what is it that the word of God tells us here? Holiness covers all aspects of our lives. But we're told here of one thing. We are to live holy lives by showing love. Love is what God is like. Love is expected in the family of God. And that's how we are to obey and live out our holy lives. And so verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that is obeying what God says, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Expect it from all of us. This is what God teaches us. And it is how the word of God changes us. And so we see in our final verses, 23 to 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. How do we know how we are to live? By obedience to the word of God. We are in the world, but not of the world. And so as we reflect on this passage, I suspect we all agree the pressure for us to conform as Christians to this world will get stronger and stronger. It will become harder and harder to remain different, distinct, like God. The pressure is for us to move on with the times, don't be so traditional and uptight. Be a bit more flexible and tolerant. And it will increasingly become more and more difficult for Christians to remain different. But how are we meant to think and behave as Christians in light of this passage? Do we conform? Well, many do say, churches, you should just move on with the times. Churches, just get on with it. And the sad fact is that many churches have. Just last month, this is a sad example, a Protestant denomination in our country, the Uniting Church, has last month at their National Assembly, just here in Box Hill, they voted to allow their ministers to conduct same-sex marriage. It's okay now. And many in the church are proud of that, that they can do that. Now, of course, in the church there are also ministers who refuse and will stick to traditional marriage, and they can. But what does that show us? It shows us a church that is divided, and that's no good. And I've already noticed changes in the marriage certificates. Next month I'll be conducting a wedding, and the new marriage certificate no longer states that it's between the, the groom and the bride, and that's where you sign. It's now party one and party two. That's the official documents. I wonder which one sounds more romantic to you, bride and groom or party one, party two? But the world is changing and the pressure is for us to change, to blend. And so how are we meant to think and behave as Christians in light of the holiness of God? Well, we are to be different, 
always different. In the world, but not of the world. What God wants is that we stand out, not for being fools and weirdos, but stand out because we are like him. Which means for us Christians, always swimming against the tide. Always being different because we are like God. Now, so when we think about this, we have to acknowledge that being different is not easy. In fact, it's never easy. I mean, just look at the, the topics that we've been covering in this series over the last few weeks. We are to be different in the way we think about testing by fires in our life. What is that for? That helps us grow in faith. We are to be different in how we love, loving where it is outward focus, sacrificial, serving. And why? Because we are to be like God. We are to even think differently about death as Christians. That is distinct from this world. We don't fear death. And why? Because we have this hope in the glory of God. We are to be different even in the face of suffering we saw last week. And why? Because we see that there is meaning. It is for perseverance and character and hope. And we are to be different in how we conduct our lives. Why? We are to be like God, holy. But holy living is not easy. We have to admit this. You see, we never slip into holiness. It's, it's like saying you slip into the perfect muscular physique. That never happens to anyone. You have to work hard for it. You have to train for it. What we slip into is obesity. We slip into sin. We slip into lying. We slip into envy, into gossiping, in all sorts of evils. But we never slip into holiness. It requires conscious, God-honoring action and decision. And that's why John Chapman, many of you may have heard of him, perhaps one of the greatest evangelists Australia has produced. When he spoke of holiness, he said in his book, the first 60 years are the hardest. The first 60 years are the hardest. That's him reflecting on 60 years of being a Christian. It's always hard because we are always growing. Young people need to grow in holiness. Old people need to grow in holiness. And it's always hard because we are to be different in the world but not of the world. And so, like I said at the beginning, it is, in fact, a, a topic for us to do some soul-searching, to reflect on our hearts. How are we going in our holiness? Do you think our lives at this current point, do you think your lives at this current point is pleasing to God or displeasing? Are we distinct so different to this world or are we no different just like the world and it's not just what we believe you see it, it is in every single decision we make in every thought we have we are to be set apart each and every day in fact each and every day there are thousands of opportunities for us to decide should I be holy now or unholy there are thousands of opportunities each and every single day. Now, I did some research. Do you know how many decisions an average person makes each day? How many? 
Any guesses? Stacks. Stacks is probably the right answer. But it is estimated to be about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. 35,000 decisions that go through our minds each day. A child makes about 3,000. Now, of course, many of those decisions are not matters of morality. Many of those decisions are not matters of right and wrong, wholly or unholy. Like what I eat, wholemeal or white bread. Well, if you like taste, you go for white. If you want to be healthy, you go for the other. Tea or coffee. If you're cultured, then you go coffee. What to wear? Wear blue. So, you know, many of these decisions, they don't matter. But it does mean that there are thousands of decisions each and every day that goes through our minds that do matter. And I can choose, will I be holy in this thought, in this decision, or won't I? You see, it's not just the big decisions of life. Every single day, thousands of decisions. Will I be holy or will I be unholy? And so just consider your day. Shall I get frustrated when the traffic is terrible and I'm running late? Or shall I be patient and perhaps pray while I drive and use my time? That's what I do. I pray with my eyes open, of course. Or shall I be frustrated? Well, that's to be holy. Shall I wear clothes today that might be a bit too suggestive, unhelpful? Or shall I choose to wear clothes that are modest? That's to be holy. There's a decision there. Shall I be rude to others around me, to the kids and so forth, when I feel disappointment or the day is not going well? Or should I find comfort in the God who loves me still? There's a choice there. What's to be holy? Shall I feel and allow envy to grow inside? Or shall I learn to be thankful and content? Look at all that God has given me and blessed me with. That's a choice to be holy. Shall I allow my, my eyes and my heart to wonder and see the pretty face and, and to think about it? Or shall I seek and yearn and strive for purity? There's a choice there to be holy. Shall I lose my temper when I'm wronged? Or shall I be self-controlled and trust in the justice of God? It's so difficult to be holy, but Christians are to be different. Shall I gossip and slander because I've been hurt? Or shall I control my tongue and be wise? That's learning from the Proverbs. That is to be holy. Shall I become introverted and feel self-pity? Or shall I fix my eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of my faith? There's another choice there. Shall I be holy? Shall I feel self-righteous in what I think? Or shall I come before the Lord and humbly know I can be wrong? That's a choice to be holy. Shall I fight back when I'm wounded? Or shall I pray for those who persecute me like in the first reading? There's a choice to be holy. Shall I hate and wrongly accuse? Or shall I love even those in tough places there's another choice to be holy shall i blame god it's your fault god i'm suffering or shall i remember romans 5 even in suffering i'm growing in perseverance and character and hope there's a choice there to be holy shall i curse and judge when i'm deeply hurt or shall i remember the grace of god and forgive because i've been forgiven much there's another choice to be holy. 
You see, each and every day, it's not the big decisions of life, each and every day, thousands of decisions we can make and we can choose to be like God. We can choose to be holy. But it's never easy. Never easy to be holy, let me say. I'm sure it's true for you because it requires effort. It requires humility. It requires the grace of God. And of course, we need to remember that being holy is not our effort. Like we need to, we need to build this up in ourselves and muster up strength. We only can be holy by the grace of God himself, by his work in us, by his word, by his spirit. Charles Spurgeon, he said, If he gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. It is God's work in us. We desire it, we long for it, but we know that it is God's word in us and the Spirit's work in us. We be holy. Not easy, but we can by the grace of God. We gird up the loins of our minds. Be ready, be holy in every decision. And we don't shift and change. Blend in to this world, but we're swimming against the tide because we are to be like God. And we are to live holy lives, not just because it's right, it is right, but it is always better. Holiness is always better than unholiness, even though it is hard. Now, some Christians might think, oh God, make me holy, but not too holy and not too soon. Why might Christians say that? Well, perhaps it's because they think and believe that I'm missing out on something good if I'm being holy. That God does not have my best interest at heart if I'm being holy. But of course, that cannot be true. The successful life that God wants from us, and I think this is good and important for us to hear. The successful life that God wants from us is not seen in riches or successes or achievements. And that's not because God doesn't want us to have a, a good life. No, it's because God wants us to have the best life and the best life is seen in holiness, in living the blessed life, the beatitude, blessed are these. That is the best life. It is the stuff of character, not the stuff of this world. In fact, John Chapman again, I've been reading his book, he goes as far as to say, the measure of a successful life is not money, nor career, nor even family, but whether I am holy, whether I am like Jesus. And so the less I am like Jesus, the more I have failed in life. I wonder whether we measure our life that way. The less I am like Jesus, the more I have failed. Not the test, not the job, not the wealth, but holiness. You see, holiness is always better, which means it's not necessarily the easiest. It's not necessarily the most comfortable, the most smoothest option in life, because it's the choice to always be different. Not weird, but different like God. And it is always better. And so the Christian says, well, I'll pick the better one. I'll be holy because it pleases my Father in heaven. And finally, holiness forever inspires. 
You see, as you live holy lives, it inspires me. I want to follow. I want to model after you. And hopefully as some of us live holy lives, you want to model after us. We inspire each other because we're being more and more like Jesus. That is the successful life. Our lives should be such that we are like the city on a hill. What a shame when Christians are not known for anything or don't stand for anything. We are to be like a city on a hill, like the salt and light of the world, so that when the world looks upon us, they might hate us, they might persecute us, but they might also see some good deeds in us that they'll praise our Father in heaven, that they see something of God in us. And so at the shops while we're lining up, filling up petrol, how we drive, how we speak to our colleagues, to those above us, to those below us, how we, how we relate to one another every single day, the thousands of possibilities. Am I showing something of God? And so it will be good for all, all of us really to step back and look upon our own lives and to ask ourselves, does my life now bring shame and disrepute to the name of Jesus? Because if it does, how devastating that is. But if it does, we come to the foot of the cross in repentance for forgiveness and know that it's always offered. Or does my life instead look so vastly different to this world because it is so closely aligned with God? And if that is you and that is many of you, I'm sure, be encouraged in that. Continue in that because there may be people praising our Father in heaven because of you. And so while we wait for the return of Christ, as we heard in the kids' talk, we remember this. What is to characterize our life now? There will be times of suffering like last week. It is for our good somehow. But the character of our life is one of holiness. We are in this world, but not of this world. And because God says, be holy because I'm holy, then we humbly must. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that has set us apart as your own to be holy. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us the grace to live the holy lives you have called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.